0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the International Business Podcast. If you work across time zones, borders, and cultures, this is the show for you. I'm Leonardo, founder and host of the show, but let's make it simple and just call me Leo. I'm based in Shanghai, and I'm accompanied by two co-hosts, Stefano, based in Paris, and Audrey from San Francisco. Coming up on today's episode.
1: I think the core issue is that there is a high demand for solar energy right now. And there is a shortage of the amount of supply. And the amount uh, of supply in polysilicon is quite acute. And so the amount of demand has exceeded supply, really, and exacerbated pricing from the early part of 2021. Just in line with the electric vehicle adoption curve, so too has energy storage uh, been growing exponentially. And really, if I had a make the analogy, it's really the gnat on the back of an elephant, uh, the elephant being the, uh, the electric vehicle market and energy storage is still a very, very small uh, in terms of size, but in terms of strategic significance, it's, it's becoming stronger and stronger.
0: Andy's a renewable energy executive with 20 years of solar energy, storage, and technology experience. He is the founder, owner, and CEO of Clean Energy Associates a solar energy and storage technical due diligence and engineering services firm with a presence in 13 countries with over 170 professionals. You can find more details about Andy in the show notes. Now, let's get into today's episode. Hi, Andy. I'm glad to have you on. Welcome to the show.
1: Excellent. Thank you for the invitation, and I'm excited for today's discussion.
0: Andy, what makes you an international professional?
1: Well, first of all, I've been living abroad Uh, and doing business internationally for the last 20 years, uh, most specifically in the solar energy industry over the last 15 years. I currently reside in Shanghai, although I'm uh, right now on a business trip in the US. But our company works with many global manufacturers, uh, developers, uh, EPCs, which are engineering procurement construction companies, and financiers. So the very nature of the solar industry is global. And we often have to deal with folks around the globe frequently. And we've worked with clients or had client projects in actually 64 countries uh, globally. So I, uh, I'd say in addition to that, I've also been a passionate uh, traveler. I've been to thir- 60 plus countries. But once again, I've been living, even though I'm from the US, I've been living and working in China for the last 18 years.
0: Let's start from basics, because I guess many people from the audience no- don't know this particular word, and you are the expert here. What is polysilicon in simple terms, Andy?
1: Yes. So uh, polysilicon is a part of the crystalline solar supply chain. So most people know a a blue hued uh, solar panel if they saw it on a rooftop or in an installation. But polysilicon is a refined chemical product Coming uh, from a metallurgical grade silicon input, and that metallurgical grade silicon comes out of the ground. So, to put it in another context, uh, I'll say the reason the solar photovoltaic industry has been successful is because their uh, silicon and its elemental form is actually the second most common element in the Earth's crust, making up roughly twenty six percent of that uh, of the of the matter. And it is the only element that does not degrade extensively with a long long period of exposure to the sun. So that uh, polysilicon, as I said, is basically taking that refined silicon and putting it through a very complex chemical process into a highly purified state. And it later gets processed into uh, what becomes most people know as a solar panel or a solar module.
0: As of now there is a crisis. The global glass shortage is affecting millions of manufacturers. What can you tell us about this crisis?
1: Yes, yeah, so I think there's a number of uh, supply chain shortages and challenges that are happening right now in the industry. And I would uh, I would caution you to say millions, I would say there's thousands of manufacturers uh, throughout the solar supply chain and many are impacted by a lot of uh, a lot of fronts. I think the core issue is that there is a high demand for solar energy right now and there is a shortage of the amount of supply and the amount uh, of supply in polysilicon is quite acute and so the amount of demand has exceeded supply really and exacerbated pricing from the early part of 2021. So we have seen pricing more than triple and that is uh, effectively what's causing a bit of a crisis because it makes the end solar module or the solar panel more expensive, but it is uh, there's also a heightened awareness of manufacturers for the need to expand and grow their supply.
0: And for how long do you foresee this crisis potentially, you know, still happening? I, I would say
1: that uh, the typical manufacturing expansion process for other parts of the of the typical crystalline supply chain is usually a shorter period. A, you know, anywhere from three to six months, you can see a substantial increase in solar modules or solar cells, for example. But for polysilicon, it does take a bit longer. Uh, The typical expansion path is is anywhere from uh, 18 to 24 months. I think there's some manufacturers who can complete some uh, very rapid expansions within China in the 12 to 15 month time horizon. But more recently in the last uh, several weeks, China has announced uh, a, a shift away from energy intensive industries and polysilicon is one of those. So a number of polysilicon expansion plans in China are on hold right now. So I anticipate that this polysilicon shortage could last another two years or so into 2023. But I do think there is, there is supply coming online in 2022, and it will be not as acute as it is right now. But once again, we also know there's a lot of pent up demand, which is on uh, currently on hold and many projects have been postponed. So it's this constant balancing act of uh, supply and demand. But once again, I've seen this in the last 15 years, and I certainly expect that it will correct at some point.
0: You mentioned supply chain, so let's focus on this topic for a little bit. Supply chain traceability allows to track products from sources to consumers. Is this important, Andy?
1: Yes, I think it is important for a lot of fronts. Uh, many uh, many companies are increasingly looking at uh, ESG as an important uh, criteria for evaluating the provenance of the materials they're obtaining so um, ESG is uh, environmental social and, and governance and effectively is referring to the uh, you know how the product is manufactured uh, what is the impact on the environment uh, what are the what's the type of uh, manufacturing methods used and how does this, uh, comply with industry norms. And I think there's been a particular change uh, in the market uh, this last year. And a lot of folks are looking forward to having more elements of traceability in their supply chain. And I think there's a lot of uh, of positive reasons for, for this development. But certainly one of them is uh, the fact that the market is increasingly looking at how products are manufactured and where is the best, uh, the best route to uh, to get them manufactured in a in a low carbon uh, manner and so increasingly we're seeing demand for uh, low carbon product where one can actually look upstream and say okay how is the polysilicon manufactured was it using coal or was it using hydro facilities and there are a number of polysilicon facilities in China using hydro particularly in Yunnan province and Sichuan province and I think over time we're going to see a, a increasingly high demand for polysilicon that comes from Uh, those regions. And that will be uh, something I think the market will shift to. Uh, There are certain countries such as France and South Korea that have actually had a tariff in the past with a a heightened uh, payout for those who manufacture a low carbon product.
0: What is the importance of company culture, especially in global teams? And Andy, since you're a CEO, what are you implementing exactly? Oh, we
1: have a we entirely believe that the uh, the culture based uh, method of of scaling up is extremely important, and I will say once again in my thirteen years of both founding and establishing and running CEA, we've seen an increasingly high degree of cultural alignment among our team, particularly the last six years, because we have incorporated a program known as uh, the Rockefeller Habits, uh, which came from a, a book inspired by Vern Harnish called Scaling Up. And uh, we implement a number of ongoing methodologies to evaluate uh, how our culture is felt throughout the organization. And so we have quarterly surveys. We either have a team member net promoter score or a team member engagement survey. And we ask this once a quarter to get a sense for where uh, everyone in the team is, uh, is at, or how they feel about their culture. And we also have a number of other methods such as a QFS called a quarterly feedback session which uh, everyone is required to meet with their leader and discuss what are their personal and professional highs and lows this last quarter. What are their goals for the, this quarter? How did they do last quarter? And we specifically highlight where have you seen CA's values in action, and also have you seen any violation of uh, CA's values? And those are very important metrics. They all bubble up to myself, and we have a number of ongoing mechanisms, uh, very subtle ones, somewhat like the QFS. Where we really try to measure and engage our team. But team member engagement is absolutely crucial for companies to grow and scale. I referenced uh, the fact we've made an increasingly high investment in our culture over the last six years. And I think roughly around that time, we were around 45 or 50 folks. uh, And now we're over 175 uh, professionals globally in 13 countries.
0: Switching back to the energy sector, could you dive into how? severe weather patterns are affecting solar modules
1: Absolutely uh, Severe weather patterns are impacting uh, the entire uh, supply chain but it's really disrupting those who are actually installing in those regions where there's actually extreme weather events. So just as a just as an example uh, we've certainly seen a number of cases, of extreme uh, hail damage that's happened in, in some markets that are prone to hail. Uh, certainly, in the U.S., a market like Texas uh, sees that quite uh, quite a bit. Uh, but once again, any um, any extreme uh, temperature change uh, or sudden you know sudden event that has not been expected absolutely has an impact on the product if it's not manufactured properly so it's part of the work that we do is we actually make sure that the product quality is actually manufactured and tested according to standard test conditions and so once again an extreme temperature change or fluctuation uh, could not necessarily impact the uh, the market or the product but it does have a, an impact uh, on some extreme weather uh, cases so uh, and I'll also highlight the the certain extreme weather, Variability is just highlighting the awareness among the public eye that uh, there is a a very real threat of climate change in many geographies around the world. And so I think that's further pushing and adopting, uh, pushing more and more folks to actually want to adopt renewable energy uh, such as solar or wind.
0: Let's broaden the picture for a moment, Andy. What is your take on the China-U.S. business relationship?
1: I certainly have seen it better in my 18 years of living and working in China, but I would certainly comment that um, it tends to ebb and flow at various points in time, and you know certainly things have not been great uh, as of the last several years, but I think there is uh, an ongoing interdependence between the two countries, both in terms of economics as well as uh, overall uh, need for cooperation to you know uh, combat various changes that are happening, climate change being one of them. So while there's been some tensions in the last several months, we've also seen some positive signals, both from the US as well as China, that there's ongoing discussion and dialogue happening. Uh, I do expect that climate change is something that both countries uh, fully embrace. I know China's made a pledge in 2060 to carbon neutrality and made a number of, uh, of efforts to, towards that. Uh, the US, similarly, uh, currently cert- certainly the, the current uh, Biden administration, is very committed to, to fight climate change. So I think there is a, a, a strong uh, aligned interest on, particular on that cause.
0: In one or two sentences, how would you define climate change?
1: I think climate change is the uh, extreme emission of, of gases such as uh, CO2 or methane, which leads to a natural heating up of the, uh, of the Earth and results in a quite you know, catastrophic set of events some of which is uh, extreme weather events.
0: This episode is sponsored by International Expansion Explained. Are you looking to expand internationally but you're not sure where to start? Or you export already but would like to venture further overseas? Reach out to arrange an international clarity session and learn more about growth plans at kathrynreed.com That is k-a-t-h-r-y-n-r-e-a-d.com Still connected to the U.S.-China topic, what can you tell us about Tesla?
1: So Tesla is certainly uh, one of the leading uh, U.S.-based electric vehicle manufacturers, and they're also a great example of someone who's uh, succeeded in China. Uh, They've—I uh, I will definitely say—when uh, I'm in Shanghai, I see a, a proliferation of electric vehicles, but certainly a lot of Teslas. Uh, but you know, once again, I—I I really my hats off to Elon Musk for. Uh, developing uh, an innovative company and continue to overfight a number of, uh, of challenging market dynamics. Uh, there's been various ups and downs, but you know certainly the electric vehicle market is, uh, is fully embraced, I'd say, globally, and Tesla is absolutely the leader. I will say, in, in, the, in line with our previous theme, I'll definitely say China has been at the leading edge of EV adoption, and there's just dozens of manufacturers who've uh, launched into this industry. And uh, picked up on this trend, I think the adoption rate within Shanghai is roughly 25% of vehicles are electric vehicles, so about one in four. Uh, the penetration rate in the U.S. is certainly not as high, but there, there is a, you know, there's an escalating interest among consumers. And I expect that Tesla will certainly uh, take advantage of that, uh, that strong trend.
0: What could be the energy storage landscape five years from now?
1: I absolutely think energy storage uh, is here to stay uh, on a long term basis. Most renewable energy projects are going to adopt some amount of energy storage. I see this both in wind and in solar, uh, but particularly the next uh, two to three years will be a high adoption rate of uh, both types of technologies, both within the residential sector for homes, uh, homeowners, the comm- CNI or commercial and industrial. Um, Small scale rooftop installations on roof on warehouses and the like, and then finally, large utility scale deployments, which uh, will have various amounts of energy storage. Uh, just in line with the electric vehicle adoption curve, so too has energy storage uh, been growing exponentially. And really, if I had to make the analogy, it's really the gnat on the back of an elephant uh, the elephant being the, uh, the electric vehicle market, and energy storage is still a very, very small. Uh, in terms of size, but in terms of strategic significance, it's, it's becoming stronger and stronger.
0: So, EV and energy storage—they go hand in hand. Is that what you're saying, Andy?
1: Absolutely. No, and we've been watching this sector quite uh, quite closely. My first engagement in energy storage, uh, visiting a facility, was in 2011 when I knew one of the investors in a, a small uh, small energy uh, or small energy storage facility outside of Beijing called Prudent Energy. And since 2014, we've been getting an increasingly high number of customer calls to look at energy storage facilities. So in 2015, we set up a team uh, focused on this uh, our current head is uh, based out of Greece, George Tolupas. He's our uh, you know, senior director of technology and quality and helped to build out the team within China. And then eventually we expanded the team further, actually set up a, you know, a team lead in the U.S. Uh, who's currently in the Massachusetts area, Sean Shaw. So we have a a strong team of roughly a dozen pure play professionals just focused on energy storage, but we have uh, probably another dozen or so that are cross-trained and actively involved in energy storage projects today. So to date, we have completed in the last 13 years, uh, 105 gigawatts of solar PV projects, and then six gigawatt hours of energy storage projects. And that second half is certainly the part of the business that's growing quite, uh, quite dramatically.
0: I've got one final question. I ask everyone who comes on the show. Please share with us one remarkable moment from your international career, and that could be a successful, a funny, or even a catastrophic episode.
1: Oh boy! So um, I'll, I'll definitely say uh, I'd have to <laughs> I'd have to say a slightly embarrassing story. But it was at the the start of my time at Trina Solar. I was actually waiting for a uh, a meeting to start when all of a sudden uh, this is my early days at trina about 15 years ago in 2006 i was uh was waiting for a meeting to start and i saw a a spanish woman uh, come in and uh she sat at the table just kind of in the other other part of the um the the warehouse and i I should say warehouse it was actually our office building but trina was still a uh, early stage company had about 500 employees mostly factory workers and i was really i was the first non Chinese member of the executive leadership team reporting to the CEO and so uh, she walked in and made a uh, you know was waiting at the table Uh, and so I went up to her and I said are you being helped and she said well I was supposed to have a a meeting 15 minutes ago but uh, the team uh, said they were running late so I just am waiting here and I said well how can I help you and who are you meeting with and she said I'm meeting with the sales team Uh, we're a Spanish uh, IPP, which is independent power producer. and We're looking to buy modules and, uh, I'll, she said, it's fine. I'll be, I'll wait here. I said, no, please let me, uh, let me help you. And so he started talking to her and I went to the, the looking around for the sales head and, and I said, well, we have a customer waiting. Why are you, why are you, uh, in here having coffee and chatting with their colleagues? She's like, oh, there's plenty of Spanish customers. I, I have, uh, I'll get to her in a minute. I said, no, let's have the meeting together. In fact, I want to join, so, we sat through a, a long meeting and I realized uh, there are a lot of communication challenges. Um, myself, being in China now for 18 years, I speak Mandarin fluently. So, I was doing translation uh, during that session. And at the very end of the session, she was very happy. Uh, and before she left, she said, Could I use your restroom? So, I I, uh, I took her to where the restrooms were, I pointed her in that direction, and she came out a minute later and said, um, is there a, uh, an international toilet uh, you have? And I said, I don't know. I've not been in the women's restroom, but uh, I knew that there was not a, a Western toilet uh, in, the, in the men's restroom. So I said, uh, I will ask someone else and see if we have one. And uh, unfortunately at the time, Trina Solar did not. So this was still at the very early days of the solar boom and uh, the factories were really quite raw. So I, uh, I ended up uh, taking her back to her hotel and, and sent her off. But I went back to the leadership team and I, I wrote a story. I announced to everyone. You know, we uh, we must uh, install an international toilet, in the uh, in the in the factory for for customers that come in. So I actually sent an email out in Chinese and in English. And uh, the next day, my uh, my team uh, you know, laughed at me and they called me the plumber. So I uh, I kind of had that nickname for the first uh, starting time. At, I was at Trina Solar. But it's once again, it's just an example of you can see some interesting things in China that you just don't see every day. So, uh, but there were a lot of periods uh, during those early days at Trina where uh, the company was not quite international. But over time, we did bring in more international talent into the company in China, actually in the the factory in Changzhou, and Trina really established a strong reputation as a as a leading uh, leading you know tier two and eventually a tier one manufacturer. So. Trina is certainly one of the most well-respected manufacturers today, and you certainly won't see that. I know they've uh, they've now uh, sold products to over 100 countries and are really quite global. But uh, at those uh, those early days, I found it quite interesting because I was put in a situation, a lot of interesting situations, where I had to be the translator, I had to be a cultural ambassador, and also try to move both sides forward to... Uh, yeah, to close uh, working cooperation. But Trina was very successful during those, those early years. And uh, I later used a lot of those experiences when I was setting up my business at uh, CEA.
0: Thank you for sharing, let's say, an embarrassing episode. Usually, you know, people go for the successful one. So thank you for sharing. <laughs> let's say <laughs> not, not a successful one, but that was good. Anyway, to wrap this up, Andy, after listening to this episode, who should connect with you and... Tell us a little bit more about your current role.
1: Uh, excellent. So I, once again, I'm, I'm always open to receiving uh, connections from LinkedIn. I have a number of uh, folks that I, uh, I I correspond with there, so I do check that daily. I'm particularly interested in connecting with uh, international, uh, international folks who are in China, whether they are uh, Chinese but globally minded, or they are international talent that's looking to work in the solar industry. We have a number of openings in our Shanghai and Changzhou offices. Uh, And so we're hiring not just in China, but really around the world. Uh, We have about 25 openings. uh, So we do uh, expect to hire a lot of folks in the U.S. We have roughly 85 in our team in China and roughly 55 in the U.S. Uh, But I'm always very keen to see internationally-minded folks, particularly those with solar or energy storage backgrounds, as those are the two industry sectors that we have the the most level of professionals from. But outside of that, uh, to answer your second question, once again, my role is the um, you know as the founder uh, and and CEO is to continue to to build the company towards our long term BHAG. So we actually do believe at CA that you know our, we have a 25 year BHAG and a BHAG. If you're not know familiar what that is, uh, it's the big hairy audacious goal. It's a from a book um, Good to Great by Jim Jim Collins. But we have our own BHAG, which states you know we're to be the sought out and trusted. Experts in solar and energy storage solutions, supporting projects in every country. So we're we're very much uh, looking to expand our business globally. As I mentioned, we have completed projects or had pro- clients in sixty-four countries. But once again, we uh, we're roughly you know a third of the way there. We think with uh, over one hundred ninety countries globally, solar is the type of technology that can be deployed everywhere on the planet. And and I do want to make sure that CA is there supporting that trend. Uh, and we will see that happen over the next 25 years. But we are a very mission-driven company and have a very strong core purpose and set of uh, you know state, uh, value statements and culture. And so that's the type of talent that we like to attract and uh, invite to work with us.
0: Andy, I want to thank you for your insights. Thank you for joining us on the International Business Podcast.
1: Excellent. Fantastic. Thanks for having me on and I look forward to staying in touch.
0: You can find the podcast on all the major platforms. Make sure to subscribe. Do not miss the weekly episodes. And are you an international professional? Connect with us on LinkedIn to come on the show for now. Cheers.